For November 11th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 280, Thor. It's not, not like Ghostbusters. Thinking at podcast where we subject popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather here from the trailing edge of America, New York City. New York City. <laughs> uh, it doesn't really chat my height. Is, is that a reference to the salsa commercial? Yeah, Pace Picante sauce. Yes. <laughs> That's uh, made in New York City. <laughs> Pace is made in San Antonio by folks that know what picante sauce is supposed to taste like. <laughs> Um, I wonder if they call it picante sauce because that was trademarkable, uh, right? Whereas salsa, you know, being merely descriptive is is not. Um, I never can keep a straight face when saying the opening tagline while looking into the faces of my fellow podcasters in one of our not exactly live uh, podcasts because it's not like there's a live audience or you're witnessing it live, but in person uh, recordings as opposed to the Skype recordings. So uh, I'm sitting here with the panel, and we are here to talk about Thor, uh, along with our uh, celebrated and much-valued interview with Aduwale Akunoye Agbaje. Yay! Yeah. Mr. I- Echo, Adabisi! Spectacular. <laughs> and he's in Thor, the Dark World. And uh, and he answered the, the question, uh, who would win in a fight, uh, Mr. Echo, Adabisi, or uh, his villain in Thor 2, oh, man. I gotta Dark World. That one. Oh, man. So we'll... Uh, we're going to roll that in in just a second. Uh, but first, panel, your question about Thor 2. Thor 2 is entitled Thor 2 The Dark World. Um, we're not getting to the uh, the spoiler part of the, the show yet, but um, it involves a, a dark world okay. where uh, <laughs> dark elves okay. want to plunge the universe, want to plunge the... Uh, I even forget how many realms there are. That's how... Uh, that's how quickly it went through my mind, this movie. Seven, nine, it's an I mean, odd number. Here's the I thing. There, there are two ones that we care about, and then a bunch more that, like, nothing interesting is going on. The, right. world nine, the, word, the number nine is sacred in Norse mythology, so maybe it's not. I didn't see Thor the Dark World, so <laughs> I was going to guess based on my knowledge of Norse things in general. So people will be, people will be doing most of the podcast yeah. if not seen that. Um, yeah, I... There, there are dark elves, and they want to plunge all the realms and the universe into darkness. Uh, so, uh, here's a little speculative fiction question for you. Suppose there were another adjective of world. <laughs> with uh, another adjective of elf who wanted to plunge the universe into that adjective. What, uh... What uh, what would it be? I mean, I guess, I guess technically we're pitching sequels for Thor 3 through... Six or three through five, I get three, four, five. Yep, uh, because there are three of us. But uh, you They're know, I don't all know. Hitting elves with hammers every single movie. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> oh. And the elves are like, "Stop hitting me with that hammer." Or <laughs> uh, right. Uh, what is your adjective? Uh, first in the alphabet, Matthew Blinky. <laughs> I mean, see, at first I was trying to think, like, okay, if this one is the dark world, what other properties of the world could change? So I was thinking maybe the saturation, that, <laughs> that it's, it's an oversaturated or a desaturated world. I'm trying to think of my Photoshop levers that, that we could use to manipulate the world. So the grayscale world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like 256 shades of gray. <laughs> now, I'm going to go with my, my, real, my real answer is going to be uh, the spice world. 
<laughs> because here's the, I, I actually did go to see in theaters with my little sister the the seminal I'm gonna use the phrase seminal uh, uh, movie uh, Spice World, which featured uh, it was I mean basically a hard day's night ripoff involving the Spice Girls were on tour, they need to make it to the concert on time, wackiness ensues. Um, I, I don't remember a lot about it, but I like the idea that, like, Thor has to go up against, like, all the spice. And there's a series of, like, almost Kill Bill-style fights where she has to eliminate... He, he has to eliminate each one. He has um, long flowing locks. Or, yeah, I know. Masculine. Yes. Right. So he has like a checklist of spice spice girls that he has to eliminate. Does Thor instead of wearing the like the Union Jack costumes, can can he wear the Australian flag costumes instead? Which is of, very similar. You right. really can can you don't have to change much. Color wise, yeah, it's a, it, to accessorize. They'd have to stitch like four or five Spice Girl costumes though into one <laughs> Chris Hemsworth cost, costume, right? It's my favorite bowl of total commercial ever. It takes six Spice Girl costumes to make one Chris Ellsworth Thorn costume. New York City! New York Thor- uh, Excellent. Peter Fenzel, you are next in the alphabet. I really want to say the Picante world. <laughs> it's like, these elves are from San Antonio. Uh, but no, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with Matt and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do another property that this world did. I'm going to say Thor the Beekman's world, uh, which is a Saturday night... For me, it was Saturday morning, uh, a science-based educational television show where Beekman was a wild-haired instructional scientist, and there was, I believe, a giant rat that was like a giant obese rat that was like a guy in a rat costume, and they would conduct... They were basically the... Hydrox of Bill Nye the Science Guy, uh-huh. right? They were like the budget. They're like the, they're like the British Knights of Bill Nye the Science Guy. Right? It's like they're not Nike, they're not Reebok, they're not a little bit. And I like to think that there's a whole population of elves who want to teach science to children, but aren't branded sufficiently well to do it. Like I, I had a pair of BKs when I was. Uh... <laughs> BKs are actually kind of fancy. They're probably. I need to figure out what the ideal comparison is. Like third rate. Trying to do it, really enthusiastic, not really successful, not showing up in BuzzFeed anymore. You know, like, <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah. That, that wouldn't meet the threshold for the, you yeah. know, right, like 20 shoes that 80 kids yeah. will all remember. I, I actually went online a few months ago and tried to find a pair of kangaroos. Oh yeah, I remember because those. I like the idea that my shoes could be could be storage. They had little know? zippers in them. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah you have like a is. little pocket, much like a kangaroo. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, but they tried to turn the whole world into a Beekman's world. I mean, when I the hotness was the 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 Nike Airs, right? When we were young, you pump yeah. them up, dude. The Reebok pumps were the pumps, and then yeah. the pumps came, and yeah, that yeah. was a Air Jordans were a big deal too because of Michael Jordan. Yeah. Who is a basketball player. <laughs> the, young people, <laughs> the young people may not know that. I'd briefly say I'm pissed off that Michael Jordan now has a reputation for being kind of a jerk because I feel like he was good enough at basketball that the other things he does in his life shouldn't matter. Am I wrong to think of athletes that way? Like, if you're good enough at a sport, it shouldn't matter what else you do. No. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's that, like, would invalidate all the boycotts of Ender's Game, right? I mean, if he, if he were, like, a tenth as good as acting as he was at basketball, then, like, he would have won an Oscar for Space Jam. That's a, good, that's a really good point. Yeah, because he, he was could have been a major league, but he was above the Mendoza line in baseball. Was he above the Freddie Prince Jr. line in acting? I don't know. <laughs> How would you describe the Freddie Prince Jr. line? Uh, better than Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, because it's <laughs> the Mendoza line is the line where like you're a minor league player who bats like what over 200 or something, which means that you're like better than the average player. 
Yeah. Uh, like you, you, you could sufficiently play in the major leagues potentially. Uh, so yeah, so it's like, could you front a Wing Commander movie? Like, if, could this person front a wing? that's the Freddie Prince Jr. line, which is like, if you're better than Freddie Prince Jr., you definitely can front a Wing Commander movie. Or, or like, what are some other ones? Or could you be a supporting character? And I know what you did last summer. Or are you not good enough? Are you not good enough? <laughs> to literally get, like, killed off in the first act? I think it's a Freddie Prince Jr. world with Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> so we're trying to make it like Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> uh, she's all that. She's no. like literally <laughs> a prince. <Yeah. laughs> a prince. Um, so I, uh, I mean, I was hoping we would get adjectives and I could do, like, a drab world or a fabulous world. But, um, I'm, no, I'm not. break the pattern. Rule I'm, the threes are for chumps. <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with an Elmo's world. <laughs> where a uh, a bunch of of uh, Elmo's elves, which I mean, even that that sounds terrifying to me. But but a bunch of red fur covered Elmo's elves want everybody to just hug and kiss one another all the time, right. pretty much continually. So when I said Beekman's world, I I sort of left out the idea that the modifier Beekman implies a possession by a Beekman. Right. But you're not dropping that. You you think these elves belong? They're not just Elmo elves. They're not just elves that are like Elmo. They are elves that belong to Elmo. It's a elves. world that belongs to <laughs> Elmo. Is Elmo pulling the strings, or are the elves doing it of their own accord? Well, Elmo's got a hand up his ass. Right. Sure. He's, like, he's not. He's not a puppy. He's a marionette. Oh. Strings. But... <laughs> No, other way around. Other way around. Wait, what's, what's the deal? The marionettes have strings yes. and puppets yeah. don't? Yes. Uh, but but uh, Pinocchio's got no strings wow. upon him now. Yeah, yeah indeed. No strings. NSA, no strings important. attached. <laughs> yep. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about uh, Thor 2, The Dark World. The Dark World. It's so dark. <laughs> How dark is it? Is it dark as New York City? No, they don't destroy uh, New York City. They try to destroy London okay. in this in this film. So. But do they succeed? We shall never know. Well, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Well, you can actually know. It's, it's, it's pretty known at this point. <laughs> so uh, we're going to uh, roll in now our uh, interview with um, with Adewale Akinoye Akbaje. Matt and I uh, spoke with him a couple weeks ago, actually, and... And uh, he's uh, calling in on a, on a cell phone, so we've done everything we can uh, with the audio. Uh, we understood him when he was talking, so I, I think you will also. Uh, and um, he's going to talk with us a little bit about, about Thor, and then we branch off into some other topics as well. This is the first celebrity interview, you know, sort of thing. This is the first podcast guest who is not a friend of ours. That's right? not true. Michael Gross, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Uh, and An Ewok guy from, like, just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> what was the Ewok guy's name? He had a name. I screwed that up. Sure. I should have <laughs> just kept my Ewok mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> he was awesome. <laughs> Buy that Ewok comic book. <laughs> Wow, and we wonder why more actors and people don't want to come on the podcast. Zach, Zach, wait, Zach, Zach, uh, something Italian, Zach Galliano, is that the fashion designer? Zach, was it Zach Galifianakis? We gotta throw to the interview, guys! (laughs) The guy behind me at the airport today, and I swear he was Zach Galifianakis. All right, so this is uh, Adewale, and uh, we'll be right back after that. And we're on with Adewale Akinuye Akbaje. Adewale, welcome to Overthinking It. 
Thank you. It's Thank a pleasure. Pronounce my name correctly. <laughs> He's been practicing. I believe it or not. <laughs> believe it or not, I have. I, I I got a phonetic transcription and practiced with it for a little while. I feel like the the least you owe a person. Uh, in, in conversation is the respect of, of learning his name. Do you find that a lot of people don't bother or, or try to stumble or try to stumble over it? Yeah, I find it, you know people just get intimidated by the sheer length and size of it. But uh, <laughs> when you actually be with it for a second, it's actually very straightforward. It's, it, 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 it rolls, you know, as it sounds, as it's spelled, you know, but. Uh, you know, eventually they'll get used to it. Most people just get to triple A, which is fine. Is it is it uh, is it Nigerian in origin? The the yeah, um, I'm Nigerian, Yoruba, and uh, uh, yeah, that's where it's derived. Uh, it, from the from the Yoruba language. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria, the predominant. There are many tribes, but three predominant ones, uh, which are Yoruba, Hausa, and Igbo. And I'm of the Yoruba tribe. Ade is uh, Ade Wali is quite um, a pronounced Yoruba name. Mm. You're obviously very close to your Nigerian heritage, right? Yes, yes, I am. You know, you know, I've never changed my name from from the outset. You know, there have been lots of pressures to do that in this kind of business, but it's my name. And, uh, you know, African names have a meaning, you know. Adewale, the crown has arrived. Akinoye means a warrior of great chieftaincy. And uh, Agbaje means of wealth and prosperity, you know, so... You kind of state your purpose in life, so you, you can't just erase it because that's what your ancestors envisioned as your purpose when you were born. Yeah. You've often been cast as African characters. Uh, in fact, when I saw you in GI Joe, I was surprised to see you with your with your actual accent. Yeah, so was I actually. Uh, <laughs> it was quite a refreshing little um, interlude. Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously. Um, my my entrance into the business, uh, you know, and when people see see the name and myself, they they naturally uh, gravitate to big man or action roles and, and African roles. But I've been fortunate enough to be able to diversify that, particularly in the last five to six years, with lots of different roles um, from the, the guy in Faster, um, from um, Killer Elite. Um, from the thing, all of these are American, right up to Annie, which I'm playing an American as well. And uh, mm-hmm. Mr. and Pete, I played American. So, it, you know, it, it, people know that I can, I have the range, but I love playing those African characters. But certainly in G.I. Joe, it was, uh, it, was a, it was refreshing because people just naturally assume that I walk around with Mr. Echo Jackson or yeah. Jackson. Um, and, and that, I just tell them I am an actor. Yes, I am African origin, but uh, my accent is, yeah, you know, I was born and raised in England and live in America, so you know, my accent is global. So I was curious, your your Nigerian accent, is that something that, that you patterned on your parents? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've, I've lived there as a child and as a, mm-hmm. as a teenager, I've spent much, a, a lot of time there as well, and just being around my family and friends. Definitely, certainly the one in the born identity was more closely patterned on my father, but the the others are just more generic African accent because uh, 
you, you, you know, if, if I were to do a full-on African accent, you know, it's probably to a Western audience not going to be as intelligible. So we always do kind of pseudo-African accent, um, you know, so that, so that the, a global audience will be able to comprehend. But, um, you know, I've just played one in Pompeii, which is a great character. I play the gladiator of Pompeii. The, the champion gladiator of Pompeii. And again, he's, he's an African by the name of Atticus. And again, we created a sort of mid-range pseudo-African accent. Right. Did, was, was Pompeii shot with authentic, uh, authentic Roman uh, Latin accents or uh, just the more generalized ones for the commercial audience? No, I think, you know, I think it's more, again, more of a pseudo, you know, he uh, does a great British accent, actually. Um, and, and Carrie-Anne Moss, you know, it's more of a pseudo kind of uh, British kind of Hollywood accent that they, that they put in. But, you know, something that most people... Uh, it's it's a it's a strange um, exigency of uh, uh, of a lot of American films or, or uh, American produced films that uh, that ancient Romans always sound British and and Nazis for whatever reason in World War Two movies <laughs> always sound British as well. Yeah, and I, you know what? And, and 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 pointing to that fact, I think that uh, it was quite courageous in four two. You know, but well, we didn't go that way because often you see always the villainous uh, aliens speaking English, perfect English. <laughs> like, well, don't they come from a world, and uh, you know, don't they have their own language? And and we really we, we, we went with that decision, and and, uh, and that was really due to Alan Taylor and, and Marvel actually just really wanting to create an authentic world from from which the dark elves originate. And um, so I'm glad. I mean, obviously, it's hard work just getting... It's quite a complex language, Elvish, derived from Finnish. Um, but uh, I was glad that we did that. It was quite an enjoyable process, you know, getting to grips with this foreign language that uh, Algren and Malakas would speak. Yeah, so we didn't speak English there. Right. Uh, so you, you mentioned Thor of the Dark World, which you're appearing in now. Uh, it opens November 8th, uh, 2013 in the States. Uh, we have a global audience. I'm not sure if that's day and date worldwide, uh, but uh, November 8th in the States. Uh, tell us a little bit about the movie and about your role in it. Well, um, I play two characters in the movie. Um, but that is the character by the name of Algren, and then transformed into this beast called Curse. And uh, Al Grimm is a dark elf. Um, and, you know, on on paper, people always look at them as, uh, as the villains, but uh, I never look at myself as kind of villain. I always look at the, the objective that this character is trying to achieve. I think if you, if you start out thinking I'm a bad guy, your choices tend to be stereotypical, and then you create a character what was nice about this character is they would spawn victims and uh, their world had been displaced and, and, and destroyed by the Asgardians and there happened to be a, a celestial point within the cosmos within which they could reclaim um, their, their uh, the ether, which is the, the all-given power that could create their world again and so they, they, they made a vow to return to do that and uh, 
Alvin was uh, the, the, the lieutenant, the, the best and most formidable lieutenant of Malachi's army. And he he's a very noble character. He plays the, the bigger picture beyond his own life and is willing, as you see in the movie, to sacrifice his life for the big picture. So what was interesting about playing the character was we tried to insert very human tendencies into these alien creatures so that you're, whether you like them or not, at least you feel for them and you understand what it is they're trying to do as opposed to merely just be bad. Um, so that, that, that's what it was. And, and, and in order to accomplish their goal, I mean, um, Algren um, offers his life up, sacrifices himself to become this dark force so that he can penetrate the Asgardian world, break down his force field and allow Malachi's army to come in and destroy it. Uh, but he knows uh, becoming cursed, he can never be who he is again. And, and But, you know, that is his choice for his race and his people. So it's a very romantic and dramatic art, but what he becomes, which is cursed, is, is just the most formidable um, enemy before you could ever imagine. There is a supersonic beatdown in this uh, movie that you will relish. I mean, this guy, you do not want to meet this beast. He's virtually unstoppable. Well, you played tough characters in the past, so how would you say Curse would stack up in a fight against uh, Edebisi or Echo? <laughs> I mean, the powers that Curse has um, physically they could not ever withstand it. <laughs> but I think um, certainly with Adabisi, he might outwit him as a crafty character. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just might have to have a hand on the wit. And with Echo, yeah, I think I think that, that it's, a, it's a matter of wit. You've got to outwit Kurt because uh, physically he's just too, he's just too powerful. You know, there's, there's no way they could go toe-to-toe without that. But they could certainly outwit him. I wanted to ask how you approach a fantasy movie like this. I've heard that you are a method actor. You get in character before you show up in the set, and you stay in character between takes. This movie, I imagine the 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 situation it's it's, it's it might be hard to embody that. And indeed, there's so much about the the uh, the special effects and the digital elements added in post that it's it's almost hard to imagine what what the scenario is that you're going to be placed into. It, it, it's not terribly different or difficult from the process that I normally take on. You're right, I do like to immerse myself in the character and stay in it so as not to keep the audience and, and to keep the consistency. I think in these circumstances, you're helped in that process by the outfit and the world that you're in. So, the, you know, the immersing in the characters, once I put on the album, Makeup and outfit. I wore Algren, and, and I, you know, I stayed as Algren whilst in that um, outfit. And the same with Kurt. I mean, you know, when you're playing an ordinary character without the prosthetics, without the the, the costume, you know, you have to create that world within within you, within that character, and you stay there. But you're aided by these prosthetics and costumes to, to enter that world. So it's actually an easier process to stay in it. Because once, I'm, once I've got curse on, 
you know, I don't walk around talking like that Wally. There's no way. I mean, my job is to terrify and destroy, and that's what I do. And there's, you know, <laughs> there's absolutely no um, misunderstanding about it whatsoever. All you've got to do is look in the mirror in that costume, and you know what you're there to do. <laughs> you know, I'm joking with anybody. I'm there to kill, destroy. <laughs> no, no, no standing... No standing around crafty having a chat with your no, castmates. No, no. I mean, you can't eat in it, you know. <laughs> there, there's a straw, perhaps, where I would take uh, fluids through through certain holes that were made, but you just can't, you couldn't even eat in it. Um, <laughs> that's a, it's very restrictive. I mean, it took two hours to put on and an hour to take off, and uh, and, and Algren took about three to put on and, and an hour and a half to take off. So, and often I play the two characters in the same day. So you look at it five hours just to get in the stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and they were very restrictive when you're in it. Um, so, yeah, you couldn't eat in it. It was just about, you know, business. You just got on with it <laughs> so that you could get out and have something to eat. <laughs> so uh, looking, looking over the, the cast of, of uh, The Dark World, one, one sees a lot of uh, British actors and uh, an Australian uh, actor uh, uh, at the top of the movie. Um, what are American actors doing wrong where the, the Brits and the Aussies are coming to eat our lunch uh, in, in all these action movies? That, uh, what, what, is the, what is the special sauce um, from the UK and the former colonies? I don't think American actors are doing anything wrong. I think the world is becoming more reflective of what it is. Yeah. It's a global entity. I mean, and I don't think there's an exclusion of Americans in the, in the movie. I mean, you have Natalie Portman. Um, you have Renee Russo, who, who, who are, you know, iconic uh, American actors. I think it's just become more reflective of what, uh, the, what the world is, which is a multicultural world. Australians, English, uh, Africans, Americans—it's all of us—and and I think Marvel just embraces that. I think I think they really just go for the best actors. I think I think um, you know, particularly with Thor, which is very best best you know, orientated. It's more about the, the drama and the characters. I think they just pick the best actors that can play the part, and whether you're American or British or, or, or Australian. Um, I don't think it really plays a part. I just think when you look at Thor, it has everybody. You know, you're Americans and everything. Oh yeah, you're you're out. You're absolutely right, and and and, uh, <laughs> and my question was a, a bit of a straw man, I uh, I suppose. Uh, one thing that's also true is that it's a it's a global marketplace for movies, so the the you know the the uh, cast of of movies can can reflect the the reality of the global community a little more. Uh, I'd say we are overdue uh, for an African superhero in an American in an American <laughs> movie, G- given the uh, given the uh, global nature of the audience. And the global the globalization of our of our world community a little bit. How far do you think we are from uh, from a, a really kick ass African superhero? Well, I think it's it's right around the corner. I really do. I think uh, if you look at some of the movies uh, that have been made now, um, just now in the Oscar run up, you've got um, you've got Mandela, you've got Twelve Years a Slave, you've got the Butler, all with. African League and, and African American or African theme. And I think even with the superhero kind of genre with, with, with um, uh, you know, you, you've got both myself and Idris in, in Thor. 
we've got um, Anthony Mackie, who's playing Falcon with, uh, you know, Captain America. You've got um, uh, Jamie Foxx, who's, who's, who's playing the villain in, in Spider-Man. I mean, you know, black people are being much better represented in these genres. I think there's also, I think that's just an appreciation of the existence of an audience as well. And uh, an audience was, audiences will always dictate, you know, in the end what they want to see. And uh, and I think it's probably more timely than ever. So um, it's just good to be in business when the time is right. It's, uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, and uh, it, it couldn't happen soon enough because the, um, the more... I, I think with uh, with action movies, especially, uh, the more you can push back against a kind of homogenization, uh, and the more unique and um, uh, and specific they can become, the 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 better off we'll be uh, <laughs> as moviegoers for for certain. Yeah, I think you, I think you coined it um, when you said you know I think movies are now starting to reflect the global nature of the market and of the audience. I mean, the audience in the end will always dictate what it wants to see. <laughs> you know, that's the bottom line, really, putting bums in seats. Yep, absolutely. Well, uh, you certainly do that, and uh, we know everyone is excited about seeing the film. So, Thor: The Dark World opens uh, October, uh, November eighth. Rather, I'll fix that in post twenty thirteen. If only, if only it had opened in in October, <laughs> and we could have seen it already. Well, it, it does. It opens in October in Europe, um, uh, and October thirtieth, but. Uh, November the 8th, I believe, in, in domestic. Absolutely. Uh, opens uh, November the 8th uh, in the States. And uh, Adewale, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's my pleasure. And uh, I, I know you'll enjoy this one, especially the beatdown. Check it out. I can't wait. Wow, guys, that was a great interview, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that was wow. That was. I, I, I just was. I wish I could have been there with you guys because it just sounded like such a compelling time. And I do love at a BC and his little hat. Yes. We didn't ask you about the little hat. What? Wait a minute. No, wait. I should pretend I just listened to the interview. It's Giolongo, right? Zach Giolongo and the Ewok Shadows of Endor is awesome. But... Yep, Shadows of Endor, a Star Wars Ewoks comic. I wonder if Endor is in shadow because. It's the dark world is blocking out yeah. the sun. Or a Death Star, perhaps. <laughs> Dude, Either way. Did Anna BC have anything to say about that possibility? <laughs> I gotta listen to this episode. It's gonna be awesome. I'm not, I'm not sure we should refer to this this uh, fine actor by the name of, of his character. Though, I don't know. If I had created uh, Mr. Mr. Echo. Echo. People would know him as Mr. Echo. Yeah, if, yeah. if I had created Mr. Echo, I guess I wouldn't mind being called Mr. Echo for yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, so that was, uh, that was our interview, and now into our, our regular podcast. Wait, no, Eliminate Meta Discourse. I, I wrote that so many times as a, <laughs> as a college English, as a college composition teacher. Eliminate Meta Discourse. Don't, don't, don't say, now I am going to move on to the topic of... Just move on. Just move on yeah. to the topic of things. Unless what you're going to do is like a three-minute riff about how you should right. eliminate you've Meta Discourse. You've so far down the rabbit hole at this point that you'll never climb your way back out there. <laughs> Oh, 
here's one thing I was excited to, to talk to Pete about because when I was watching this movie, it became clear halfway through that what we were a bunch of people involved with this movie really, really liked the Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. <laughs> um, b- both plot wise and production design, because here's the the basic uh, idea of this movie is that there's a there's a cult, there is a very dangerous sect of fanatical warriors who want to transform the universe into some sort of anti-universe. Literally, they talk about how they're going to make all matter into antimatter, and they want the light universe to become the dark universe. Okay. Much like how in the Chronicles of Riddick, the necromongers are attempting to uh, open the gates to something that they call the underverse. Yes, under is a funnier preposition, or funnier article <laughs> to use. Yeah. Change the universe to the underverse, because it sounds like either a, like pantaloons or sausages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's also the, the production design, the, the way the dark elves are presented is very similar to the necromongers in that they have this very ornate gothic there's this combination of like uh sort of like you know very elaborate sculpted uh spaceships and armor and weaponry but also sort of high-tech things right right, you know it's like very high-tech spaceships but also like you know capes and like you know swords which which for me is paradoxical because characters like this seem to hate the world and seem to hate the sensations that light generates right right and this sort of sensory enjoyment of the world and yet they're huge divas that take great pleasure in like ornateness and in costume right like costume requires light in order to exist because otherwise no one can see the sequence right Right, like, the, the dark elves, I, I will say, look like black Teletubbies yeah. a, little, a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. This and this was a. There were some like paradoxes about them because they wanted the spaceships, which are shaped like. Oh, and this is where we get spoilery. So you know, yeah. for what it's worth, uh, I mean, Thor saves the universe. What? You know? I haven't seen it. Yet. <laughs> um, Natalie Thor. Natalie Portman's in this one again. That's, that's you know that's yeah. good. Um, so uh, their their spaceships are like a a knife you know they're long skinny things and actually like a knife or a dagger in that they have like a hilt they have like a cross bit that's all the bridge or something like that and they quickly rotate uh I'm doing this visually because I have the other podcasters in the room with me. I'm doing it with my arm. I have my arm straight up and then a... It's great, guys. It really makes it very clear. So wait, are you saying the spaceship has a big knife on it and it swings around and cuts things? Is that what the spaceship does? That's what... It's like Thor's hammer. He swings it around and throws it, but they have uh, have two hammers on the end of a lanyard of some kind and they... They juggle them. No, they don't at all. Um, so the the and they it makes these moves very quickly. So the the spaceships are at once like very light and they they move impossibly fast. And they're like the 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 way that they're threatening is that they like they get in before you can stop them before you can shut the yeah. like the magic gate or something yeah. like that with the the magic gate shutting magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, Which but, is the right magic to use in that situation? <laughs> using uh, using the saw woman in half magic at that point would have been really awkward. Um, <laughs> and I know right. that like the suspension of disbelief. There, there's so many things that need to, the disbelief to be suspended that this is probably well down on the list. But these are these elves have been in hibernation since pretty much the dawn of time. Since since literally like when the universe was new, okay. and yet like all their equipment not only still works. Uh, but is far superior to anything that right. the Asgardians have to, to put against it. But it's powered by hate, you know. Yeah. So really? Yeah. So it's like Ghostbusters too. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's powered by. There uh, actually is. I mean, the the yeah, the ooze is yeah. not. It's not not like Ghostbusters yeah. too energy, <laughs> because uh, they have they have released Natalie Portman, unbeknownst to her, released a uh, an ancient force called the Ether. Uh, 
which is not like the ether, and now I'm waving my hands around in the yeah. room, uh, but is like a specific kind of uh, gelatinous liquid that also moves like smoke uh, and is evil and makes your eyes black when it invades you and uh, is it, it, the ether wants, it's the power of pure destruction. So why people don't like blow up or something when they, when they get it. All well, yeah, yeah, them. because again, like doing evil things requires the, some sort of, Fondness for existence, right? Right. Otherwise, you just do nothing, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I do have to say, I feel like the the plot device in which Natalie Portman is imbued with the most powerful and destructive force in the galaxy. Really, they didn't really see that through. Like, they, they did it so that she would have a reason to go to Asgard because they're like. Something weird is going on with you. We need to go check you out. But then, like, later in the movie, when it becomes convenient to do so, the power is removed from her oh, and, okay. and given to something else, and there are no consequences. There, there's there's nothing... You know what I mean? Like, the fact that, like, she is infected with this thing, they talk about how it's like, she, oh, my God, like, she's not going to survive this. We don't know how to fix her. But it doesn't really... You don't really feel like it's a serious threat or that, like, it might change her in some permanent way. Right, right, right. Um... Sometimes when you stare into the Natalie Portman, the Natalie Portman stares into you. Right? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a black swan <laughs> with her black with her black eyes. Yeah, and, yeah, you know her evil eyes. What did you think of Natalie Portman from the point of view of like gender politics in this? Right, because they make a big deal about how super well educated and competent an astrophysicist she is. Um, though she's comically awkward on dates with that guy. <laughs> but then, like, then Thor comes out, and all of a sudden she's like swooning and sighing. Uh, you know, uh, like a like a woman not as self possessed as she is made out to be in the whole thing, and I suppose it's to I suppose it's to endow Thor with the, his you know awesome masculine uh, you know magnetism or something like that. That that even a, even an astrophysicist uh, like uh, or a nuclear scientist like Christmas Jones, you know, <laughs> would would swoon uh, and go all gaga. Um, over him, but I don't know. I felt like, I, I mean, the movie is called Thor, not called like awesome, awesome astrophysicist. But you know, I, I felt like they they really kind of pulled the rug out from under that character a little bit. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know. Well, it had this. It had this classic. I'm gonna call it like almost like a Batman Superman dynamic, where it's like what you need to solve the problem at the end is somebody who can hit people really hard, but also somebody who's really good at technology who can do that last ten percent. You need to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So basically, like Thor is gonna get into a big fight, but he can't. He can't can't stop it by hitting it with a hammer. What needs to happen is like Natalie Portman's gonna fiddle with like a bunch of remote controls and a bunch of wires and set up some technological array and then push the button. Right. Uh, right, right. But Thor Thor's gotta hold down the fort while that happens. And actually I thought this movie had an unfortunate third act of Echo of the Avengers and that there is a there's a bad guy who's trying to open a portal the portal yeah. will destroy Earth and even the portal starts to open the portal's hovering above a city and they're like we need to get these machines together and we need to close this portal before bad things come through it right. and in fact uh, uh, sorry uh, Orlando Bloom's father from the Pirates of the Caribbean movie is once again the scientist I know his name is Stellan, Stellan Skarsgård that, that gentleman uh, was once again the scientist. He's from Thor One, and he also was a gentleman in the Avengers who was uh, possessed by Loki. This is this is Robin Williams's rival from Goodwill Hunting, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That that gentleman, and he is once again like the guy running around, like setting up the much like uh, in the Avengers. Right. Um, to try to, I mean, and he has he has some funny bits. And he grabs Natalie Portman, gives her a big hug, and says, "It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault." 
So basically, you need to use a hammer to defeat the, like, you need to use a phallus to defeat the Yoni. That's what this movie is about. Sort of, I mean, I don't know. These these ships are not not Yonic. <laughs> but but you're saying that like the portal. So the portal is too derivative of the Avengers, which only came out a couple years ago, and was like, and this is the first. No, Iron Man three was the first. Yeah, Avenger yeah, but movie. but here's here's the difference, guys. Yeah. In the Avengers, the portal's in the sky, yeah. and bad stuff is coming down through the portal into Earth. Got it. Ah. Following you so far. In Thor 2, yeah. <laughs> the portal's in the sky, and bad stuff is going to come up from Earth oh. through the portal into space. But we'll also somehow... See, this is one thing that annoyed me about the the the, the, the MacGuffin, and I'm going to go ahead and call it a MacGuffin, because they really never bothered to explain what this thing is going to do. They're like, oh, it's going to change the universe into a dark universe, but like, they don't really... Does that literally mean that there will be no light whatsoever, but everything will be otherwise unchanged? Yeah, it's bad. It means it means it bad means stuff, really you bad. know. But like even when like the power is being used, like the bad guy gets the power, and you never really have a clear sense of what it does beyond making him able to punch things really hard. Right. I think the MacGuff- I mean, the MacGuffin for me was not just not just. Um... Uh, the you know the evil death ray that was going to go into the sky and like ruin the universe because that's you know that's whatever the MacGuffin for me like the thing that people were chasing was this ether thing that was stuck inside of Natalie Portman uh, all the time. Is it a sentience? No, no. It's it, just, well, no just a it, it, has, it does have something. They talk about it wanting to find a host, and that's why it sort of it latches on. And this is the, but I, I, think think that's, they, I think that people say that. I think that that want is the same as when people say like information wants to be free. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, uh, I almost would have liked it better had they made the just because I, I I did sort of feel like okay if you're gonna have Natalie Portman be possessed by this thing and she does have she has visions she has sort of visions of, of dark and, and evil um, and they never really go to the point where like she becomes a threat um and and i kind of wish they did just because i force thor to make a hard decision yeah i mean here's the thing like do i I, smash natalie portman with the hammer i think what william faulkner said right was that the only thing worth writing about is thor in conflict with himself (laughs) 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 um but the you know i the the uh god what is it ether was sort of a delaying device, right? It's a way of not... It's a way of, like, we have this awesome death ray, but we can't use it yet, right? (laughs) Until we get some ether up in here. So we gotta go... We gotta go uh, get some ether, you know? Yeah, I mean, but, like, even... And I I know plenty about the sort of, like, the plots of one of these action movies is sort of, like, it's beside the point. But, like, you know, the way it's originally... Like, Natalie Portman basically stumbles across it. It's this artifact that's been lost for, for, I I think, billions of years, right? Like, since the world was new. Um, And she just, like, pretty much just, like, trips and finds it. Yep. Um, And just happens to find it, like, at the exact right time. And it has something to do with, like, yeah, in the alignment, there's the greater possibility of it being found. Because the the door, the portals between dimensions are open, man. (laughs) Here's here's the thing. I feel like by now we have a sense of what sort of a generic superhero is. objects like women, man. You know, they're like, I I didn't see the Green Lantern, but if I saw the Green Lantern, I assume it would be like, there is an ancient evil who that is going to consume the universe and transform the universe, and we need to, like, get this artifact and we need to like stop it from executing its you know what I mean and there's going to be this this scene where it starts to spread out and you have to push it back yeah. and I like just, the goose episode yeah. of DuckTales <laughs> where everything turns to gold anyway continue. yeah no there, there was that was great that was yeah. a great really terrifying episode yeah, it was uh, really intense yeah. what am I thinking there was another episode that do you guys remember Mask 
Mask is the mighty power that can save the day. Mask, no one knows what hides behind the masquerade. Is that from DuckTales? No, there's... there's, I feel like there was a a period in the 80s where sort of all the action cartoons had to have, like, the entire world is being turned to blank, and we need to, like, race it. We need to, like, you know, get back to the source. It's a metaphor for communism. Yeah, it's, it was. It was definitely like uh, the the Rocky Four of, of episodes of Mask. Yeah. I interrupted you. No, I, I, just, I just was saying that I don't feel like this movie made a great attempt to break the molds of like generic sort of like generic bad guy is trying to you know they don't even really make it clear like why do the dark elves want these things because they're bad guys and that's what bad guys do um, and and in the end like the the solution to beating them is to just like hit them really hard until they are beaten. Um, and I just I, I feel like and that's that's why I was I was saying this is extreme spoiler alert uh, the post credit scene is a bit of a teaser or maybe a taste of Guardians of the Galaxy and features uh, Benicio del Toro uh, glorious glorious Benicio del Toro <laughs> with a, a, a pompadour I don't even know how you describe what's going on with his hair but things are going on with it and I'm kind of excited for Guardians of the Galaxy just because I feel like it's something new. It's 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 not. They're not going to like find a way to to do another big strong guy. You know, punches something really hard. You know, like the Man of Steel. The you know whatever it is, punches something really hard to save the world. Yeah, I mean, what was that? There was no sort of um, larger like notional story, right? To go along with the the literal story. It it seemed like it didn't really. Uh... You know, it didn't have like I don't know the meditations on mortality from Wrath of Khan or uh, I don't know any any sort of level beyond the completely literal. I mean, right? even Thor one was kind of Thor one was kind of about social awkwardness, right? Yeah, and like not fitting well, it's, in. It's a fish out of water story. Yeah. and I think it was uh, Slate that that pointed out something very wise, which is that um, as Thor one is to Crocodile Dundee, this is to Crocodile Dundee two. Oh, except because he goes to course, London, except to, not to New York. Well, no, the, 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 the <laughs> Crocodile Dundee one is yeah. he's a fish out of water. He's in New York. Oh, he doesn't know okay. what he's doing. Okay, and Crocodile Dundee two is he has to take her back to Australia. Oh. And now it's like, now he's in his element and he is, he's king of the, so that, that in this one, she's, he's like, I'm going to take Natalie Portman and we're going to go, and most of the movie will take place yeah. in this elaborate fantasy yeah. world. Which, by the way, like CGI wise was, was interesting and I think very beautiful to look yeah. at. I think there was some excellent artists. So, this, so, wait, is there a scene where he goes, that's not a hammer, this is a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's implied. Oh, okay. It's strongly, it's strongly implied. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought the art, yeah, not so much Asgard, which I don't know, like that all our all our uh, fantasy cities used to be used to have some majesty, right? But like Asgard looked like a crowded metropolis, you know, it looked like uh, any big city skyline, you know, in any sort of world city you care to name, um, and not like it was sort of unfocused, but like all the stuff in the heavens. I thought was just extraordinarily beautiful and the, the almost abstract stuff. And then, like, um, uh, Thor uh, uh, knocks the bad guy on the head at the end in this swirling red dust cloud. And it's just this, it's this red screen with, with, you know, black swirls going around. And it's very, it's almost abstract. I mean, it's like not even a... Uh, not even trying to like resemble a, a real location, and I thought that some of that, like some of those visuals, had a lot had a lot of like abstraction and a lot in common with with just sort of weird weird abstract art that you know doesn't seem to be mainstream like a 
like a blockbuster movie does. I'm, I'm calling it a blockbuster. I don't know how it did this weekend. Well, I mean, in, in a sense of if this is a battle between you know the Aesir and uh, sort of darkness, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I, w- one thing I think about a lot with regards to Thor is kind of the awkwardness of it being a Norse mythological story and also a superhero story at the same time, because uh, there's there are very different kinds of stories. But if you're telling a story of a god fighting a sort of negative force in the universe. The idea of them battling in sort of a primordial circumstance, right? Like sort of a, a, a pre-universal chaos, yeah. right? Trying to decide the future fate of the of existence in a, the in a moment that is somewhat like the birth of existence, right? Like, and then that, in this case, like you know, the Norse gods represent sort of order in the way that we understand it, and the various forces that threaten the Norse gods are you know chaoses and elemental forces and stuff like that. They're all, like all the Ragnarok myths and stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. You were talking before, Matt, before we started a little bit about how your sort of general distaste for Thor as a Marvel character. Well, it just seems... It's, it's, it, there's a spectrum of superheroes from, like, you could imagine that person existing in the real world. Of which I, I'd almost put Batman there, right? Batman yeah. is a regular guy. He's trained in martial arts. He has some gadgets that he has bought through his immense wealth. But he's basically, like, he's a vigilante, right? And then on the extreme end of, like, this is a wacky idea for... I almost put Thor... Thor is almost the most ridiculous example because literally... It's the entire Norse religion was dead on, 100% true. And this is, although I, I believe, like, in the comic book, like, maybe he's not, like, the Thor. He's, like, the new, you know, he when, when you get the hammer, you become the new Thor. Yeah, yeah. Thor is more of a title rather than a person. Right. But I think in, in, in the movies, no, he is actually, he's actually yeah. Thor. He's the guy. I mean, there are stupider things, like Ego the Living Planet. I guess that no, actually probably, yeah, the, the mustache is the crazy part of Ego the Living Planet. The human, tri- the living tribunal. But anyway. Um, are, you, are you thinking of the, the, the Green Lantern that's just the planet? No, no, no. There's a character in uh, Marvel Comics named Ego the Living Planet that is a giant planet with a mustache. Uh, and it flies through space, and people land on it, and it tries to kill them. <laughs> don't, don't land on that. <laughs> is there like a lot of natural resources there? Uh, it, it makes little versions of itself that come out and fight. Oh yeah, no, it's it's, it's full of oil. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no Thor for oil. No Thor for oil. <laughs> it's just so I I can't. I mean, and another thing is that like Thor as a as a character, his whole thing is he's such like you know. He's he's so um, upright and 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 forthwith. And yes, <laughs> he's he's a square, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a square, but almost in a different way than like Captain America is a square. That like at least Captain America is like he has this sort of fish out of water quality that like he's from an earlier time and he's juxtaposed against that. But like Thor is just like you know, and which is why uh, I think a lot of people's favorite part of this movie is, is Loki. Who's a great character in his own right, but also, I think, a critical part of the Thor equation, because he's a character who is, like, very funny and very witty and very unpredictable, whereas Thor is, like, he's kind of like a big lug who always does the right thing in an unsmiling, sort of, like, workman-like sort of way. Right, right. Um, And it's not, I mean, you know, juxtaposing with somebody like Peter Parker, right, who's, like, very charismatic and very sort of funny, goofy, and relatable. So like, and even it's even a plot point in the movie where where his bros, some of whom happen to be women, um, are like Thor. You're not drinking like you like, used like, to. Thor, you know? you're no fun at all. And he's like, eh. <laughs> Got this Natalie Portman thing. She's an astrophysicist. You know, you I'm ever trying felt to like your girlfriend is possessed by ether. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's and there's clearly I mean the the woman and I you know I don't know the character names because I I don't really follow these comics but um the woman who is set up as his Asgardian intended 
right? A Sif, I believe she is. Right. Who is, uh, you know, uh, who is uh, drinking and pillaging with the uh, with the rest of the Asgardians. Though I, I, I suppose they don't pillage. They prevent pillage from yeah. that. They, they counter-pillage? Yeah, they counter-pillage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in good times, pillage must be countered by good things. <laughs> but in, in the dark world, pillage must, must be, be countered by another kind of pillage. <laughs> a different kind of pillage. <laughs> yeah. um, she's... Uh, you know, and this is not this is not sort of taken up at all. Like, is she jealous of Natalie Portman? There are a couple of shots where she's given right, her the stink eye, right? Glances, but like, it's never that. That's another thing that the movie could have really like. The movie didn't take any of the tangents that I I kind of thought would be interesting if it had taken. Well, the thing I mean, the thing that was good about the that was good about the Avengers, and and that was good about Iron Man three. I mean, Iron Man three also had a big a big kind of metaphorical. A set of stakes, which was like, how do you overcome trauma? Like when, when yeah. terrible things happen to you, like how how can you walk that back? Uh, just in the the normal day to dayness of your life, but like, yeah. um, uh, it didn't. Uh, oh, I've I lost my. Plot no, I know what you're saying. Like iron. there are no ideas, or I, I don't don't want to be mean to the movie because I thought it was entertaining. No, yeah, it was well okay. made. And it was well made, and it was fun to look at, and I enjoyed. But you know, I don't I think it fun. was as interesting as it could. Like like. From an overthinking perspective, Thor two I don't think has a, as much to mine in it as like the Avengers or certainly Iron Man three. I thought had a bunch of different interesting yeah. themes that they were exploring and commenting on. Yeah, and Thor one didn't have as much to mine as like Captain America did. I think Thor one was pretty straight down. I mean, it was more of a fish out of water story. There was more going on there, but yeah. the Thor movies in general seem a little bit less complex in their kind of narrative, in like their metaphorical what they're trying to transmit through their metaphors and symbolism. Mm-hmm. I guess it's because you're already trying to translate Norse mythology into superhero life into an actual movie. And so making it then in turn all about the gold standard is like a bridge too far. Yeah. But like, you know, it's, uh, uh, whereas with Captain America, you at least have Nazis in it. So people know what to hate. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Google Asgard, Paul, the, uh, <laughs> uh Right. I mean, by the way, like if we want to talk about a, a superhero movie that does have a lot of interesting themes, there was a very long uh, preview before the movie for the new Captain America movie. Oh, that yeah. That looks very interesting. First of all, I did not know Robert Redford was in the movie. Wow. As some sort of, like, executive type mm-hmm. um, who's, like, you know, talking to Captain America and shaking hands with Nick Fury and everything. But I thought the most interesting thing about the trailer is there is a scene where... Captain America was appalled that something Shield was doing about like you know this isn't this isn't how we should be doing things and Nick Fury is like look we got to take the world as it is not who we want it to be and Captain America is like this isn't freedom this is fear yeah which yeah. obviously seems like they're they're tackling a lot of interesting sort of very topical very relevant themes head on mm-hmm. I you see the preview in, in the big one that I saw was uh, Robo the remake of Robocop oh, oh yeah, you know, yeah yeah with uh, with Michael this is the robophobic trailer right? yeah exactly yeah robophobia yeah. Uh, with Michael Keaton as the you know as the sort of seems like the evil CEO right yeah Who's and, gonna... Yeah, and it was, it was like basically about you know what the American military technology is all over the world, but it's not used in America because of constitutional protections. Right. So because every other country is being patrolled by American robots except for America. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is about and so it makes RoboCop. A yeah, and America hasn't gone the full Elysium yet. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so it's like okay, we got to make a RoboCop as a transition point to making. Drones for everything. What I want to know about the RoboCop remake is that the 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 famous "I buy that for a dollar." Will they adjust it for inflation? 
Because <laughs> it should be what, like five dollars now? Oh yeah, I mean yeah. I mean, yeah although like, that was the future then, so is it, oh, it different was the future? future? Yeah. Should we count? Are they the same year? Are they taking place in the same future year, or will there have been time between those different future years that we can then calculate for RoboCop inflation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These are the questions that we will answer when we see the movie, and not just the trailer. Uh, <laughs> perhaps there's so much to look forward to. How can you? Yeah. How can you? I mean, who would want to make a world like this just darkness? There's so many beautiful things. When there's beautiful things like calculating the inflation of RoboCop dollars, why would you want to have a nice spaceship that turns the world to darkness? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So, just to be clear, there is no such thing as RoboCop dollars. <laughs> they're regular no, dollars. Yeah, it is. It's a currency. It's exchange. You can you know speculate in it. You can like, <laughs> and I'm uh, I'm long on RoboCop dollars right. <laughs> Now I, uh, you know, and the symbol is R dollar sign. You know, dead or alive, you're paying with me. <laughs> oh wow, that would be a great credit card <laughs> with the thing. Uh, also, because they come after your heirs for your debts. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> if you die and you have to pay the debts off, and they just make you into some sort of cyborg. Yep, yep. It's the new estate tax, man. The power to tax is the power to turn into a robot. That's that's what Barry Goldwater yeah. would say if he were a RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going back to the Robo Gold standard. Um, so. Uh, yeah, the the other Marvel movies also seem to get by sort of on top shelf acting talent, and, and in like Iron Man, in I'm thinking of the Avengers, I'm thinking of like Robert Downey Jr. and yeah. mm-hmm. and Mark Ruffalo, and then some very good uh, surrounded with some also some very good actors, but like two people who are just Which, like sh- incredibly watchable, shining beacons of 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 great acting. I mean, and those Scarlett Johansson scenes are good too. I mean, speaking of the good actors, it's like I kind of wish that instead of pushing ahead with the Thor two, isn't it time for another Hulk movie? Oh yeah, they got to do that, right? Like you know, they, but I don't think they they planned. I mean, you got to figure they've talked about it. It's so doing a Mark Ruffalo, you know, really a Hulk centric type yeah. thing. Mark because- Ruffalo has to beat Grand Theft Auto Five first. It could be a while. I got a lot of stuff I got to do. I got to beat Grand Theft Auto Five. I just pre-ordered Call of Duty Ghosts. I have to do three romantic comedies. <laughs> that should take about a week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the secret to his video game success? Is it that he's always angry? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, noob. <laughs> I'm just gonna make a 13 going on 30 sequel. Because it would just be, it would just be like twenty five going on forty five. Is that how it goes? It just jumps up. <laughs> yeah, from there. Just, it's the same, <laughs> same, same gap there. there. So that, that was seventeen. So seventeen years. It would be after yeah. twenty five going on forty seven. That would be that would be a sad That's movie. Right. Yeah, because it's, it's not like one of those 42, things where it's like, wow, I'm a grown up. I get to eat all the ice cream I want. It's like I still have all that student loan debt to pay off. <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, I, I feel like like thirteen to thirty is obviously a bigger shift than twenty five to forty two, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because when you're thirteen, you know the world's all before you. <laughs> By the time you're twenty five, you're a grizzled old veteran. <laughs> you're, I, you know, I don't know on Lord's album, uh, pure heroin, heroine, uh, <laughs> with an e. Um, she, uh, there's a whole song that this 16-year-old New Zealand teenager wrote that, about how like it feels so scary getting old. <laughs> uh, I'll show you fear in a handful of elf spaceships. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the, the very light, the simultaneously very light and sort of very massy elf spaceships, which turn on a dime and yet can really do some damage, yeah. you know, when they when they knock over Asgard. By the way, this is a quibble, but I thought those were load-bearing columns that they <laughs> yeah. took out. It does knock down every single column in the entire, you know, like, 30-story high palace. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's fi- it's gravity to fun. What I want to know is that the spaceships are so tough that it can knock down, knock down all the columns and still take off and fly away. How come Idris Elba could take one out with a dagger? Right. Literally <laughs> single-handedly, like, jumps on the side of the thing and stabs it to death. <laughs> stabs the spaceship to death. You think I'm exaggerating, but when you see it, it's literally like he jumps on the side, he stabs it, and it crashes. And this is a I mean, I think the answer is like he's Idris Elba, and he can do that kind of thing. Or he's Heimdall, like, and he has a magical knife, right? Or, it's, uh, it's Heimdall doesn't have a magical knife. What kind of nonsense? He, he can is see that? everything, Riddick style. That's true. Does he see all the vital points of the spaceship? <laughs> it's like veins and arteries. Yeah. That's a wound. That's a wound. That's a kill. <laughs> 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 when are they going to bring Dale Day-Lewis into the Marvel Universe? Oh, man. Because he's going to play MODOK? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we're just like a giant Daniel Day-Lewis head with like a little arms yeah. and legs? <laughs> it's like, I'm MODOK. And they've had MODOK already recently, though, right? Or, in the movies? Or are they going to have him in Guardians of the Galaxy? MODOK is ridiculous. He, he is. Daniel Day-Lewis like should play Genetic Mysterio because he can play any other character. <laughs> so it should be... <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, yeah, yeah. He should be like Doctor Strange, right? Oh, he could play that. Yeah. If they're going to make a Doctor Strange movie, you might as well go all out and just try <laughs> to make it like amazing and good as opposed to ridiculous and crazy. I'm sorry, Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme. So is Doctor Strange the Sorcerer Supreme more or less stupid than Thor as a Marvel comic superhero? <laughs> at, least, at least he's like in the real world. You yeah, can... yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I think it's the, the idea that like there's literally... All these dead Scandinavian people, like, hanging out, just being like, told you so. Yeah, stop, <laughs> stop sitting in judgment like this is some kind of Doctor Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme court. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. What is the eye of whatever? I don't even know. I would use his my magical medallion to determine whether this was a good idea to make this movie or not. I shouldn't make fun. It's not that he's stupid. It's just that what you said, it's far removed from the idea of a superhero who could plausibly exist in, like, the sort of plausible Marvel superhero world. Yeah. Where there's an actual real New York, with actual real New York buildings, and also a, ma- a magician who communes with the astral plane, right? Yeah. But I guess if you have a guy who's stretchy and another guy made of rocks, you know, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's definitely a good idea wrapping up this podcast. Oh yeah, sure thing. Yeah, we got to leave some time for Tor- Thor three. <laughs> the, so, the Jurassic uh, World. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the lost, the lost. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, if you want to talk about uh, Thor two or three through five, um, <laughs> Thor Elmo's world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to hit him with my hammer. He's just too squishy. My hammer just bounces back. What, what would Thor Wayne's world be? <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm party saying- on Thor, party <laughs> on Thor. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, if you want to uh, pick up where we're leaving it, you can email podcast at overthinkingit.com or call 203-285-6401. Call or text 203-285-6401 or join the conversation um, and uh, and try to answer the question, what were you guys drinking? Uh, spoiler alert, nothing, as no. it turns out. No, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> 
Um, the uh, uh, in the the show notes on this episode, we'll be back next week with another Overthinking It podcast. Till then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Unison. So easy when you're here. Seeing you guys fills me with joy. I'm like giddy. I'm like giddy like a schoolgirl with a giant mane and a big hammer that I can use to hit things. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were about to go swooning over a guy with a giant mane and a big hammer being a schoolgirl. No, no, I'm a powerful, strong woman. I don't, I don't swoon for no one. Yeah, what a strong female character. <laughs>